What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Human Humanities United Martial Arts Network, where we bring on coaches and fighters and actors and actresses and historians and comedians um, to talk about martial arts because we're all joined in the world of martial arts. We're not fighters. There's a difference. And that's what we talk about on this podcast. Today, we got Wayne the Pocket Rocket McCullough. Now, just in case there's people listening who don't know your story, Wayne, let's, let's list off a couple of your accolades here. You've had 330 amateur fights, 319 wins as an amateur boxer, only 11 losses. You were a two-time Olympian, uh, taking the silver in 92 in Barcelona. You went on to be the WBC Bantamweight title holder. Um, a very aggressive pressure puncher style. You took on some of the greats. You took Prince Nassim the distance. You took Eric Morales the distance. Um, and now you are coaching. Is that correct? Yeah. First of all, welcome. Um, Thank you. But let's, Thank you. let's talk a little bit about, about what, what's going on with Wayne now. No, I, I coach people. You know, I was, when, I, when I stopped boxing, I never officially retired because I'm not one of, one of these guys. Not that I'm coming back, but... A lot of guys retire, then they come back two years later, and they retire, then they come back. I always said, you know, if I, if I stop boxing, I decide to fight in five years down the line, I'll fight. But I haven't fought for 12 years, and I just turned 50. So I can still do it, no problem, because I work it every day. But coaching people's, you know, teach people from scratch, as you say, actors, comedians, stuff. I actually train people like that, normal people, actors, comedians, and um, some pros as well, and amateurs. So I teach everybody how to fight from scratch. And um, it's great to see somebody who's never did it before. And then a few months later, they become good at it. And they start to spar each other. And, um, and they actually love it. They want to spar all the time. Nice. It, it, was that something that you had planned from the start? Like when you, when you were a fighter, did you think about your future? Like what, what you would do with your career? Did you want to always become a, a boxing coach? No, well, like since I was 15 years old, and I started fighting when I was like seven years old. But before I was 12, I had 100 fights. But um, at 15, I realized that I can do this, you know, for a living. And actually, you know, I was, I was better at that it was sports like football, soccer, running. I did that, but I was better at boxing. And I, I decided then that I wanted to become a world champion and, and set goals. I wanted to get an Olympic medal of some color, return pro, and then become a champion. And a lot of my friends back home thought I was crazy, but... They've seen the hard work I put in. You know, they're out drinking, partying. I'm up running the hills of Ireland. And um, and it, it paid off for me. Some people it won't pay off for them, but it paid off for me. And I made the sacrifices as a young kid to become a world champion. And it happened for me. And it's like being a coach, it's like I was trained by everybody in boxing. Eddie Fudge was, he's probably known as the best coach to ever live, the top three. And when I came here, he was 82 years old. And he wasn't going to take anybody on, but he, he was training Riddick Bowe, the heavyweight champ at the time, and Mike McCallum, a three-time world champion. And he, was, he, he looked at me at the Olympics and thought, oh, I'll take that kid on. And he took me on and made me a world champion within two and a half, two and a half years. And when I started talking to him during fights and, and um, going to fights and at the hotels and stuff, he talked about training people through the generations of 30s, 40s, 50s. He sparred with Joe Lewis back in the day. And all this is sinking into my head. I'm thinking, maybe someday I'll be a coach. Mm -hmm. And um, Eddie, I stayed close to Eddie until he passed away at 90 years old. And out of those 20 world champions, you go back to Joe Frazier, Ken Norton, the modern day, I'm the modern, the last champion he had. And um, he gave me a letter of recommendation to be a coach and signed it and gave me a 1938 Golden Gloves pin as well. So I thought that was priceless. It was like getting a diploma from Harvard or something from this guy. The and hairs out, on my back are standing up. Yeah, so out cool. of all the, the champions he had, he, I'm the only one who he gave it to because he knew I listened and I wanted to be a coach someday. And when he gave me that, I was took, I was took back from him. He was, he was 89 years old when he gave it to me. And I was just like gobsmacked. I couldn't believe it. And so when he does that for me, I have to be a coach. You know, wow. that, that, that marks everything off for me to, to do being a coach. But it's tough. Wow. It's tough being a coach. It really is tough being a coach. What would you enjoy the most? Do you enjoy training people, like you said, from scratch that never fought in their lives or actors, actresses for a movie or fighters who want to be a world champion like yourself? What do you enjoy the most? Well, I do enjoy teaching people from scratch to see, the, see them getting better and better, but it's a bit easier on the outside than it is inside the ring. But 
I enjoyed being inside the ring. It didn't, it didn't bother me. I was never knocked out as a pro, never in the canvas or an amateur. So, you know, I try to teach people a lot of defense and stuff. And anybody can teach somebody how to punch, but every time you throw a punch or, or a kick, there's something coming back at you, so you got to be ready for it. And I do that. I teach people how to be, be offensive and defensive. So I, when I see them progress and get better, you know, it brings a little smile to your face. And they, they actually appreciate it, which is good. Even like, people who have never fought before here are never going to fight. When we learn how to fight for real, you know, it's a little bit of you know, confidence for them as well. And uh, you, you mentioned your style of boxing and, and, and how you were coached as well, as well uh, when it comes to, to defense. At the same time, you fought some of the biggest punches, pound for pound, in, in the history of boxing. And, <laughs> and, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, you actually have spoken out about you know, having done brain scans and so on and have no damage to your brain whatsoever. And like you mentioned, you never hit the canvas We had a doctor on here, brain uh, specialist, uh, yeah. talked about trauma to the brain. What What do you think that is? Is it Is it just your DNA? Was it just who you are? Or do you think it's because of the way you took the punches, the role with the punches? What do you think it is that some people, we hear you now, you're an intelligent man, you're well-spoken, and, and yet you, 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 you've been, and, you know, you, you can usually hear in someone's voice that name. Yeah, 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 I get it. When someone's getting But, punched, you don't have that. It's like, a, it's more or less like everything you're saying. You know, I was, I, I was taught defense, but I was aggressive as well. So when you're an aggressive fighter, you're going to get hit. Whether you're defensive or not, you're still going to get hit. But I knew how to ride the shots. And the fortunate thing was I had a good chin. You know, Ring Magazine gave me the best chin in boxing back in 2000, which is probably, is that a good thing? It means I got hit. <laughs> <laughs> but when I, when I get hit hard with like Morales and, and guys like Adam Hamid, they get punched, but... When they hit me, I just went like that to them, and, and I broke their heart. And, and say when I fought Hamid, he just ran for 12 rounds. And Morales backed off me and started boxing me. So you break somebody's heart when you can take their shot. But there's some fighters who can do that. They can just take a better shot than other guys. And I'm, I was fortunate enough to, to do that. But my, my skull actually, this is not a joke, but when I got a brain scan like years and years ago, the doctor says my skull is like twice as thick as the average person. So maybe, maybe that's like a shock absorber. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. Um, so maybe the, by the time the punch hits my head and tries to get registered to the brain, probably forgets, probably gets blocked along the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I was fortunate, but I, I got scanned, you know, as far back when I turned pro in 1993, I got my first scan. And MRI scans, they can, if you get one five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, they can compare it to the first one. And if they see change in it, then they can say, okay, it's time for you to, you know, stop doing this or whatever. But it never happened to me like that. Then I did a Cleveland Clinic test um, twice in the last 10 years. And I remember the doctor saying to me, actually did it last year, and he, there was a lot of pictures on the wall of all these, these fighters, all-time greats. And he said to me, you know what? You fared way better than anybody on this wall right here. You know, so he's like, I'm like, okay. So I was, I was fine. I was clear. And as you said a minute ago, fighters start to slur their words. They start to almost like they're they get droopy in their eyes and get droopy and they, they start to walk funny. The punch drunk syndrome, not just boxers, you know, football players can get it, MMA fighters can get it. And the problem is nobody sees it. And if you don't go to a doctor to get checked out, then you're never going to see it yourself. You just think, oh, I'm okay. And people around you, sometimes you have a good team around you. But sometimes you have hangers on who just come on, keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. And it's unfortunate I've seen, I met world champions Since I came here, I've seen legends who were just punch drunk as can be. And I'm thinking, I watched these guys as a kid, and they can't even put a sentence together. And it's, it's, it's hard because this sport, you know, MMA, boxing, all these different combat sports are not easy. You're on your own. You know, you can't pass the ball to anybody. You can't do this. Other sports are tough. I understand that. But you're on your own in the ring, in the octagon. And whatever you do is on yourself. So if you get injured or something, it's up to you to get go to a doctor and but unfortunately I say most fighters don't do that they just keep on fighting keep on fighting keep on fighting depreciate and then they keep on fighting and then they end up broke maybe doing drugs and then they punch drunk and then die mm -hmm. so I think you know I would say boxing you know never had a union 
and they could have a union because there's so much money involved in boxing. You get a big fight, go to the Mayweather-McGregor fight, like $300 million between them. Floyd promotes a car, makes a billion dollars, and they don't have a boxer's union. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, and it's unfortunate because if they had a union, then people could stand up for people and have the medical. You know, they could test their own guys and make sure that they're okay to fight. But if you, get, if you don't get licensed in a state, California, Nevada, you can go somewhere else and fight another state. You know, or it's unfortunate. But my health is number one thing. My health is the number one thing. And uh, I, I do want to talk more about that because if I don't know, you worked for the UFC for a while. So you've been yeah. on both sides of the table, right? Both as, as the, the, basically the, the talent and, yeah. on the other end, which is the talent management. Uh, but before we do talk, I, I do want to ask because I, I watched your whole career. I watched both Nassim and Morales live. Uh, and as you know, being in Europe at the time, that was early morning time. Um, uh, especially with, with Morales. You. you punched the hardest. And I, guess, I can't remember if it was in the 11th or the 12th round when you fought Morales about taking punches. He unloaded his right hand, his notorious right hand, and you took it and you took a few dance steps in front of him. Yeah. And I remember the look on his face of frustration that you were not going down from those punches. But who punched the hardest? Was it one of them or was it someone else? Well, first of all, I'm not a good dancer, but I did dance on the ring then. <laughs> but... No, I was, I've, had, I've had that question put to me over the last 10 years. People on social media, and they're like, who hit the hardest? And I'm like, well, I said both guys were different. Hamid had physical strength, but Morales had that one-punch pinpoint, like, Tom, like, a, like Tommy Hearns or something. And he was tall and skinny, and he could just hit you with either, either hand and just give you a shock wave down the left side of your body. And Morales hit me like that in the second round, actually, the fight, and... And I was like, oh, wow. And he had knocked nine guys in a row out in championship fights before that. And then, I say, when I fought Hamid, he had knocked out 18 guys straight before I fought him. And I moved up two divisions. And the same thing with Hamid. I can more or less see Hamid's punches coming, you know what I mean? And, but he had physical strength. But I remember the first, the first words that Hamid said to me right as we hugged each other right after the, after the fight ended. He said to me, you're super strong. Because I, I have that physical strength, but... I haven't got the one punch knockout punch, but I'm still I can still knock people out. But you have, when you have that physical strength to push somebody around for twelve rounds, which I did, then you know sometimes that's a little bit better than the one punch because you know Morales tried to knock me out and he couldn't do it. And, he, and his corner man is one of my good friends. He's a cut man, Miguel Miguel Diaz, and he he told him in the corner that if he hits me any harder, he's going to break both his hands. So when somebody says that, you know. It's, it's great, but they never, both guys never had hurt, never hurt me at all. I never, never, you know, I felt the power of Morales on the left side of my body and I could feel how strength, but, you know, they didn't, they never hurt me where I was dazed or anything. And I think at that point, I was so experienced and Eddie Fudge wasn't in my corner that night. He was, he was 88 years old, but he gave the game plan against Hamed and it was a great game plan to make him move to his left so that he couldn't get his right hook on. And he said, if you do that, they'll make him look bad. So, of course, he looked terrible that night, and he ran. And the commentators were making all excuses. When really, the game plan was from Eddie Fudge, which worked perfectly. <laughs> so, the, so, Morales is the harder hitter, for sure. Although I've been questioned by people, as he said, no, I'm wrong. They actually said I was wrong. <laughs> people have actually said I'm wrong, and I'm like, well, I fought them. I've got to love the awesome. internet. Uh, they said, "No, you're you're wrong. You're wrong about that." I'm like, "No, I'm. I get hit hard with Morales and Hamid was strong, but I think I'm right." <laughs> but you know the internet. You know the internet. It's funny. You know, let, let, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, what are your opinions on social media and the fact now that there are fighters who don't need promoters? They they are their own promoters because of social media. And what tends to happen with a lot of these guys is they kind of skip steps. Um, they don't have those 300 amateur boxing matches. They kind of take yeah. shortcuts. They've had their records. Um, and then it seems like when they, when they take that jump to fight someone just a little bit higher in competition, right. you know, it's, it's very apparent. And I don't want to name any names, but it, no, one of those, it, and it kind of just happened over the weekend. But what do you, what do you think about that? Like from a coach's standpoint? No, I think every fighter, when you're coming up, you have to have that one test. You know, I was 12-0 with 11 knockouts, and I was fighting all tough Mexicans. 
I was knocking Mexicans out. And I'm not, not a big puncher, but I was still knocking these guys out. And my 13 fight was against the number one contender. Mm. A guy called Victor Ravanalis. He was, he was, I say, he was the WBC champion, number one in the world still. And I had to beat him before I got a crack the belt. And believe me, he, he took, we went 12 rounds, bloodbath, toe to toe. And that fight, I learned a lot. It was a 50 50 fight, really. And I beat him. But it was, it was a, that night, I, I remember after the fight, I sat with my wife up in the, it was actually in Atlantic City, in the Trump Taj Mahal. <laughs> and, um, he, and, and we, we said, I said, and I said to my wife the day after, boxing is so tough. I'm going to be world champion. That's what I said to her. Because after that fight, I knew I beat the guy who was the number one guy who'd been there before. And I had to get to the belt. And I, I, that was my learning learning fight. Had I not had that fight, I fought Yakushizi in Japan. It was a, he made a, I think he might have beat me then. Because I need, had that one tough fight to get me there. But as you said, people move around. They move around people, move around people, get the shot, and then they can find out. And you're talking about the fight the weekend. And I watched them too, so I know what you're talking about. But it's unfortunate. You know, so, but I think social media is a great thing. You know, social media is a great thing. My daughter, she's at that age, 22, you know, that generation. And I was at the Logan Paul fight, actually, in, in California. Because the main event was Billy Joe Sanders, a world championship fight. But they, were, they put Logan Paul to the top. He was the main event. And I seen all these influencers there, and I'm thinking, I don't even know them. So I'm texting my daughter, who's this guy? Who's this girl? Who's this guy? She's like, oh, it's such and such and such and such. And such. I'm like, okay. But to see them as at a fight, and was packed was good because he didn't have a clue who Billy Joe Sanders was or anything. But they're going to learn maybe what he is because the fights were pretty good. And when I seen all these people here, I thought the generation, they were probably from 15 to about 27-ish, about that young generation. And to see them on a, a boxing fight, was it was a different type of crowd. But I thought it was, it was good for boxing to get that generation, that generation over. And you never know, they, may, they might start getting involved in it. So I think social media... Is good for boxers, you know. Ryan Garcia, you know, he's he's a young kid who I met, humble guy. I met him at, at, down in California at the at one of the the gyms we were training at, and he was a nice kid. He was a nice kid. He's got the followers, and and of course he's got the women, <laughs> and even my own daughter likes him. <laughs> but but she's an influencer as well. My daughter's an influencer as well, so she's got she does her makeup and she's a singer. So she's got that too. So it's, I think it's good if you work hard. My, I, my daughter's mind is, I say, if you work hard at something, you'll have success. Don't expect to be handed something on a silver platter. Some, but some people are understanding. And then the ones who do that are handed something on a silver platter. They go up and fall down quickly. Or if you do the hard work, you go up and go up and you stay here. And it's like my, my career, you know, when you're hot, you're hot. You're champion of the world. Everybody knows you. Everybody's around you. And then when you're not, you know, you find out who you, the real people who are fans of yours will remember you for the rest of your life. And I'd rather be remembered like that than just being the flavor of the month, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you're, if I'm contacted by somebody in Australia, somebody in England, somebody in, across in Japan to this day, then you've made an impact around the world. You know what I mean? But I think, I think social media is good to a point if it's done the right way. And with fighters, you have to have that one tough fight. Otherwise, you'll be fine, out. Man, I have to again. ask you. Oh, go ahead, again. I, I just, I just have to ask you. Did you, did you have to ask your daughter who Shane was? Yes. Why not? Why not? They uh, asked me to be on the undercard of that Logan Paul fight. I said, I'll respectfully, I'll no, no, thank I'll you. I'll train you. I'll train you. I wouldn't be Logan Paul. Wouldn't be too hard to beat. Yeah, Good yeah, guy, yeah. guy, and the, and the other guy fought him. He beat him, but. You know what? Different, different thing. It's a, it's, it was entertainment, and it was it was fun entertainment, and um, the guys can't really fight, but you know what I mean. But they they got the crowd in, and they and they sold tickets. Yeah, that's what it's about. I, uh, it's a show. It, it is a show, right? And, and we saw it Mayweather McGregor. Like as 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 a com combat sport athlete myself, you look at it and you go. He's a world champion, the greatest fighter of our time, fighting someone who's making his pro debut. Like, is it right from a boxer? He, he hasn't put in the work. Yeah. But then at the same time, you know, like you said, the biggest, 
sporting event in history. Well, yeah. Who's to say what's right if it's making money? What's your opinion? And that's a fellow, uh, fellow, fellow yeah. Irishman of yours. So I, I know it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a topic perhaps. And I, a follow-up question to that after that is going to be, what is it about Irish people? Why are you guys so tough? But no. first and foremost, uh, what's your opinion on that fight? No, I, I, I love Conor McGregor. I went to one of his fights, met him backstage one time. Dana White, my good friend, so we were back and met him before he was champion. And, you know, I researched him when he was in California because he was down in, like, Venice for a while and I was in Santa Monica. And I said, come to the gym and I'll train you. This is before he was anybody. And then, and then my weather fight come, I said, come to the gym and I'll train you in real boxing, professional boxing. I'll spar with you. I'll, I'll teach you the fundamentals. But I understand he's got a team around him, but sometimes you have a team around you the people that you've had since you were an amateur, but I had a coach for 14 years as an amateur and he couldn't really teach me anything else. And we had our Olympic coach, Nicholas Cruz Fernandez, a Cuban, but we had him for like two years before the Olympics, Commonwealth Games, Olympics. And he taught me so much. Nicholas Cruz was responsible for my Olympic medal because he was just so, he was so technical. And, um, and then I went to Eddie Fudge. So, you know, it's, it's, it's different. You got to teach, you got to teach somebody. When you get in against Mayweather, that's Barbara Mayweather. I spar with him. I know he's like, we used to be in the gym together back in the 98, 99, 2000. And he's quick. You know, he's not a big puncher, but he's so quick that you think he's here, then he's over here, then he's over here. <laughs> and um, I had fun with him and, and he had fun with me. We actually, you know, to this day, you know, Floyd never walked past me. And, but with Conor McGregor, if you think about Muhammad Ali, probably known as the greatest fighter of all time. And Floyd Mayweather, probably known as the greatest modern fighter of all time, the best defensive fighter probably in the history of sport. Conor made more than anybody in boxing for a pro debut. $100 million. Muhammad Ali probably got $500 for a pro debut. That's how bad it was. You know what I mean? Nobody's ever got more than 100 grand probably for their pro debut as a, as a boxer. So that was part of the problem that a lot of boxers were thinking. That's ridiculous. I thought it was good, but I thought... If Connor beats for some reason, Mayweather slips up, night like his reflexes aren't as good. If he beats Connor, then it'll be a disaster for boxing. I mean, and it doesn't mean he's he's the greatest of all time, then. But it'll be like a lot of MMA fighters and boxers think we can cross over and fight each other. But if you cross over to boxing, which which Connor did, I, I take my hat off to him. Why doesn't Floyd go to go to, go to MMA? Yeah. Yeah, you go. You go to mine. I go to yours. But boxers, Ray Mercer is about the only guy who did that. He knocked out Tim Sylvia. Ray Mercer is a former heavyweight champion. He knocked out Tim Sylvia. But yeah. apart from, it's different. I love. I love MMA. I've been doing jujitsu for a decade. I love it. And um, yeah. it's so different. It's so different because you don't have to hit anybody. You know what I mean? You, and boxers, boxers come on, go to this. Where you can just grab their arm, break their arm, twist it, or choke them, or and it's so simple. But Boxes, a lot of boxes were ignorant towards MMA and thinking, oh, them guys can't do this, can't do that. But I think with the Mayweather-McGregor fight, the second one might happen, actually, believe it or not. Because Connor's actually in, in Dublin training in the boxing gym five days a week. Oh, wow. So, but there's a different level. I know his coach is with him. Not just respect anybody. He's an amateur coach. As I said, I had 14 years as an amateur. Then I had a professional coach, which is here. Professional amateur boxing is completely different. It's completely different. And you got to learn, learn the fundamentals of that. And I wish he would come to me and I'll teach him. I'm not looking for to be like part of his team or anything. I just want to teach him the fundamentals of professional boxing. But that could happen. I think that second fight might happen. So be prepared hey, for it. You slipped that in there. He's, <laughs> you, he's, that's lately? Like he's been training at a gym five days yeah. a week, specifically boxing? Yeah. This old coach is amateur coach, the guy called Phil Sutcliffe. So he's with him. Yeah, he's been doing it. That's probably not for Khabib. <laughs> I, I, not I, for I, Khabib. I, no. Khabib, Khabib actually was a. Everybody talked about Connor being the best boxer, but the Khabib threw it over him right and dropped him. <laughs> yep, yep. Fake shot. Yeah. Fake level change. Oh, yeah, different. That's it. You go dip it on, bomb, bring it over. You can't see yeah. it coming. When you're doing this here, you gotta keep it. got to keep the chin tucked in like that. Do this, catch a block. I mean, but open stance. I love MMA. I love MMA. I love it. I must say, I love it. Did you ever consider it? Well, when I was coming in the, up, in I, the early I, days, when I turned pro, right, there was no like 
I'm flat. I'm, I won my first belt at 118. You know what I mean? So who's gonna? There's no 118 weight classes, and and I'm, I met Dana White 2004. I think it was. He was at a one of my after parties at one of a friend's home, and he was he was actually a friend of my friends as well. I didn't know that, and I just sort of I loved the ESC. Then when the Ultimate Fighter came on TV, the the Forrest Griffin Stephen Banner fight for me was was that put UFC on the map, you know what I mean? And, and Dana would say that too. And that was just like Tommy Hearns and, and you know, Hagler, you know what I mean? It was just unbelievable. They just beat the crap out of each other. And that's when people watched and, and UFC wasn't getting any any attention and people people hated me back then. 2000, I, mean, I was at the fight, 2006, I went to um, Tito Ortiz, um, Chuck Liddell too. My first fight was a Chuck with LRT's one, 2004, I think it was. But then my second one was that, was that one. I went to the, the MGM Grand, and um, everybody in boxing were, they hated me. They hated that I loved the UFC. They didn't, in the gyms, you couldn't even talk about it. They hated, how can you watch that stuff? I'm like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. And um, I went to that fight, and Dana was there, and he gave me, Dana had given me tickets just off the floor. And, and my brother-in-law was over in Maryland. He's a big UFC fan. And I just, I seen Dana walking past the front. I was like, like four or five seats off the floor. And I said, thanks Dana for the tickets. And he walks towards me and he said, we want you to be part of the UFC. And I'm standing there thinking, what? Thanks for the tickets. No, no, we want you to be part of the UFC. Are you in or not? Are you in or not? I'm like, what? Yeah, thanks for the tickets. No, no, you want to be, you're going to be part of the UFC. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. He wanted me to try to get the boxing media to come across. Because back then the media wasn't, wasn't writing about it or anything. It was like two or three press guys. And I was like, that was 2000, December 2006. And then the summer of 2007, I come on board and I went to England and Ireland a few times and talked to the, got some of the boxing media to do coverage. They weren't going to do it, but then they get two page spread. And the, the boxing media crossed over. And now, you know, it's like when you, when you go to the fights now, there's, there's so much media that they have to turn them away now. And there's, there's more media at the AFC fights there is a boxing nowadays. And, but I loved it. I, I, I loved it. And Dana, Dennis said to me, watch all these fights. He gave me like these DVDs, like big pile of them and said, watch all these fights. I've already seen half of them, but I said, okay, good. I'll watch them all again. And um, I loved, they started talking to boxing people about it and, and um, people started crossing, crossing over and I say, neither all, they're all like, oh, I love the UFC. And I'm thinking, you hate the UFC? You hate it? You're a liar. <laughs> but they'll all cross over and I just for the attention. No, but, but say, I've known Dana for that long time. I talked to him every week. And he's a great guy. He's a t- he's a tough businessman, and um, but he he's good at what he does. And, and Lorenzo Fertitta, when I came here, I've known Lorenzo since '93 actually '94, and um, he used to be one of the commissioners for for boxing. So when he was a young guy, so I've known them guys for forever. And 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 sometime when you're people remember you from them, they they gave me a job, Penny, for probably doing you no. Know, I was doing stuff, but you know what I mean. Not really doing much. But he, he respected me that way, and I respect him the, the utmost. But I love the AFC. That, that's that's gonna say you don't get to hear that much from 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 boxers. Um, but is is it like it, of course it didn't exist when you and, and by the time you started to get bigger, you know you were the world champion of boxing. But yeah. if, if you were young enough, do you think it would be something that you would have considered? Yeah, I turned fifty years older, and I, you want to? I'm fit. I'm always training. I'm a, I always said to him, I would just love to get one fight to stay where to go now, just to see what it was like. Because I say, I know, I always say to people, like boxing for MMA is a lot different from boxing. When you're doing boxing, you're back. when you're doing boxing for MMA, you got to learn how to, how to get out of the way and do, do that. And, and I can teach people that, you know, if it's, but never say never. Maybe Daniel's giving me exhibition match or something. Good. Because 125, now I, I can make 125 easily. I mean, by 130 at the minute, because I had to cut to 118 sometimes. And I made it pretty easily, 118 from like 130. I didn't, I wasn't one of them guys who put on 30 pounds. I would put on 10, 10 pounds or something. And then be always, because I was always training, so I didn't have to cut much weight, you know what I mean? And um, when, you, when you're away from the gym for five, six months, your body can sort of slow down when you get older. And you can, get, you can add a little bit of fat, which is harder to lose and stuff. So I, I never let myself go that way. That's why I was made weight. I was like when I fought at 26 against Hamid, I did my I trained 
my training weight was where I, what I was at. I didn't have to cut anything. Mm-hmm. I trained myself to 120. I didn't have to cut a, cut a pound. And I stepped in the ring. I weighed 125 and a quarter or something. And I stepped in the ring 127. So I was, I was a smaller guy, but I was taller, but I was a smaller guy, but it was an opportunity, you know what I mean? And I wanted that opportunity against Hamid because he was a match sometimes. <laughs> uh, you wanted to fight with Nassim because he made some comments about your wife, right? Saying uh, that she didn't want you to fight. And, yeah, and you, went to the, you went to the weigh-ins and said, if you got something to say, say yeah. it to me. Yeah, yeah he, just, about, yeah, he, was, he, he fought my undercard in 1983 in Dublin. He's on my undercard. It was my eighth fight and his, his, he'd have about half a dozen as well. And he was, I remember him sitting in the front row with Brandon Ingle, his coach, and then we were watching my fight. He fought some, some guy with a lopsided record. And I knocked, a, I knocked the guy who just did, who knocked out the European champion before he fought me. And um, I remember them. And then in 96, 96, he fought in Dublin again against Manuel Medina, the defense of his belt. And I was, I was a bantamweight champion. He was a featherweight. So we're two divisions apart. And then in the media, right before, like three days before the fight, he puts out that uh, my wife is scared of me fighting him. And I'm thinking, what's the relevance of me? Because he goes to Dublin, goes to my home country, he's starting to badmouth me. And I'm thinking, I said to my wife, I'm going to jump on a, I'm going to jump on a flight. He said, you're crazy. I'm like, no, I'm going to jump on a flight. I jumped on a flight. My friend, Mick Devine, picked me up in Dublin. The Wayne was at the Guinness factory. And I, I walked up to Hamid, straight up to him. I said, I don't care what the fuck you say about me. I said, but when you talk about my family, I said, you've crossed the line. And he said, don't point your finger. He said, I'll knock you over this balcony. I was standing on the balcony. And he, had, he must have had about 30 cheerleaders beside him, all, all around him. But I didn't care. You know, and I just, and somebody, my, my friend put me off. And um, we just we walked away. I went to the fight the next day. Frank Warren gave me tickets at the, at the, as far back as you can go in the arena. I was right at the back. And, but everybody recognized me. And then they started, and then Sky TV then brought me right up. And I sat right behind his dad. <laughs> and um, the whole night the crowd started singing my name Wayne McCulloch Wayne McCulloch and Hamid he won that night but he looked he looked really terrible and he, he never came back he never came back to, he never came back and fought there so the story is I thought he was never going to fight me then in 1998 I had like 15 months off I came back and had two quick fights and one of the fights against a world champion Juan Polo Perez that he had knocked out in two rounds and I just can feel a lot of promoter problems and stuff. My head wasn't in it. And I, I fought that guy in May of, um, of 98. And I looked at crap. I looked terrible. My promoter didn't turn up for me. I was going through problems with everything. And I won the fight still, but I looked at garbage. So he thought I was done. I come back to Vegas. The call came through. My wife said to me, do you want the fight? I'm like, yeah. Didn't have to say what it was. I knew what it was. I said yes before I even found out what the money was. I said, yes, I do. And that, that one fight I had, I looked terrible in, was my contract for Hamed. And because he had knocked him out in two rounds, so he thought I was completely done. And, and the fight was made. That's how the fight was made. I went from 93 to 98 before he decided to fight me when he thought I was at this, the end of my career. When I wasn't, I was just going through the motions in one of my fights, and it was a blessing to me. <laughs> Um, you mentioned that you enjoy training people from, from nothing. And we have uh, a friend in common in Kara, who's, uh, who you started training, which she was training here with us at Systems Training Center. And it's funny because, you know, she's, she's a wealthy girl from, from New York. And she came in. And I'm like, okay, this is going to last for a month before she gives she up. Can, she can fight. She can fight. She can fight. And one second. One second. Six, yeah, six, yeah. And actually, uh, Shane, if you don't mind, my wife is. It, can you tell it's bad? I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Okay. It, it was fine until you did something. There. No, it's fine. No, it's fine here. Right. Yeah, yeah, everything's coming coming through clear. That's all right. I'll I'll cut this part out. Hold on. Hold on all right. Technology. So yeah, that's yeah. I'm having some problems with the Wi-Fi here, but hopefully it there should work. Is it really bad, Shane? No, no, it's been fine. Mine's great. Mine's oh, great too. Okay. It keeps yeah. coming for me a little bit. So, um, but yeah. So, Carl Leverwitz, she came in. She came into systems. Oh picture. wow! Oh like wow! She, wow. You want a green belt? And I said, I've got the green belt as well. So you want to have that too? So great picture. <laughs> she actually, she actually said that to me um, a few weeks ago. 
she's so nice and humble and so you know I love Cara she's just so she's dedicated in what she does and I told her she she won the biggest fight of her life she had a very rare form of cancer where I I've seen some of the pictures of her and I thought this is it she's not gonna make it you know young pretty sweet person hardworking, doesn't you know live a crazy life and 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 ended up with this cancer and she fought and you could just tell how she fought and now she's back to boxing again were yeah. you were boxing with you while she had cancer yeah well i i met her through a friend a friend who wanted to, to teach her boxing for mma because she was doing mma so i started training her boxing she liked the boxing she just wanted to do boxing instead so she had a few like a few fights with me and, and won them all looked great and then She gave me a car accident, not a bad accident. And then they scanned her, her body. And that's where they found the cancer. It was a rare cancer that was a bone cancer, but it was a growing on her, on her kidneys and had a, it was like a big lump, but had to get their bones in it, she'd have been already dead. So the, I think the car accident sort of saved her life because she wasn't badly hurt. And I say one person gets it every year in America, one person, and she was that one person. So she went back to New York, of course, and her dad's up there and her doctor's there and, and she fought, she fought hard and she was ready, she was ready to give up because her dad can't take me one time and says, Cara doesn't want to do her last round of chemo and, and she looked, she was about 80 pounds or something, she was so light and, and I, her dad said to me, can you, can you tell her to do it? I'm like, what can I say? I haven't for it. I don't know what to say, but so I contacted her and I said, Cara, your dad, your dad, He doesn't want to die. He doesn't want you to die before him. He, he, you're his daughter. He, you know, he loves you and he wants you to fight this. And you know, just one more time. And and she did it. You know, she did that last round of chemo. And and the picture she sent me, I've got a picture of, of her. And then, you know what? She, as you said, she looked like she was half dead. But she fought that last one, and that's how tough this girl is. She's, you know, I was, you know. The meter was a great thing. The trainer was fantastic. And um, she's just a, a wonderful person, you know what I mean? And so so humble, so nice. But she can fight. And she's back fighting. And she can fight. And she's, got, she's in New York still, but she's, you know, she's got a coach up there who teaches the sort of technique that I taught as well, a lot of defense. So that's a good thing. They haven't ruined her side or anything. And she's, she won fights. And I'm so happy she's back. But right now she's in California. She found out a friend. That's cancer. So that's where she is right now. I might probably, I might see her actually. I might get the trainer before she, she might come to Vegas. But Cara is, is you know, I'm so blessed to have met her and she's just so nice. Her whole, her, I met her brother, I met her, her dad is so, so nice. And this girl deserves everything she gets. You know, she's, she deserves 100, my WBC belt doesn't mean anything. She, she won the biggest fight of her life. As a, in her 20s, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. And that's, that's the thing, you know, fighting spirit, you know, you see people and, and it's easy to judge a book by its cover, and, and, but fighting spirit comes in, in all sizes, in all forms. And uh, I, I did want to ask you about that when it comes to, to, to Irish people. Why is it that Irish people has this fighting blood in them? Where does just, that come from? We're just stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always been, you know, Boxing for Irish people, like in the Olympics, for instance, in the Olympics, boxing's been our most successful sport to bring back medals. We've had more medals in boxing than we have in any other sports over the over the years. And we can't we've had world, no. yeah, we've had That's world crazy. champions from back to back to <laughs> Jimmy McLaren was a, a world champion back in the 30s and 40s. He's from just outside Belfast in, in Randy Monaghan. And then we had Johnny Caldwell, then of course Brian McGuigan, who was my hero, Dave McCauley, then, then you had Steve Collins, then myself. And I modern day, you know, you had Eamon Lachlan, who was a WBO champion, and Brian McGee as well. So you had guys like that. And then Carl Fram today, you got Michael Cannon coming through. He's ready for a belt. Carl's a two-time world champion, tr trying to get his third one. So boxing's been the, always our sport that we're, we're better at. Maybe, you know, boxers usually come from bad neighborhoods and, and growing up in Belfast, You know, growing up anywhere in Ireland, it was the cities were tough, and um, you know, boxing was a way out for you. Not that you forget where you come from; it's just a way out to bring people together. And and you know, where I come from, I 
I was born in Shankill Road in Belfast, which is a real staunch Protestant area. And I carried the Irish flag in the opening ceremony of the Soul Korea for, for Ireland. And people looked at that like, what are you doing? Well, I'm like, I'm a sportsman, not a politician. And back in the 80s in, in Northern Ireland, it was like a war zone. It was like Beirut. You know, you get searched get in the stores, the, the soldiers walking in the streets and stuff like that. But it was normal life. That was, that's the life that I thought was normal. And then when I came here in 93, I'm thinking, why didn't I get searched walking in the store? <laughs> you know, so it was just a normal for the, the British Army were there to keep the peace. Otherwise, it would have been a war. You know what I mean? But Northern Ireland was just, I think there's no religion. The religion has nothing to do with anything. It's about money. Religion was never a factor, believe me. Boxing numbers brought people together. And I think that's why fighters boxing, we just fight that a little bit harder and just gives you strive for something different and, and say, maybe that's why we're tough. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it is. I've no other answer for that. <laughs> I believe there's a lot to it because you look at people from with difficult upbringings, Dagestan, if you look at MMA, right? Oh. Look at, you look at Mexican fighters, like you mentioned earlier. Um, and, and one thing that a lot of times we commentators talk about is when fighters cross over from amateurs to pros. And you were, you were talking about it earlier when you made that step. Um, you had a Cuban coach leading you to that silver medal. And then you had to transition into professional boxing. A lot of sports, you play, amateur, you play amateur soccer, football versus, and then you go pro. It's not that big of a difference. What is it about amateur boxing to the pros that makes it so difficult to cross over? Well, think first of all, you, have, you get smaller gloves. And I know the headgear, but the, the headgear doesn't use any more in the amateurs, but they did. But you've got smaller gloves, more rounds. And the crossover is tough. But with me, when I was 15, 16, 17, my brother, who's five years older, was a pro. And we used to go down to the local pro gym. Barney Eastwood was is a boxing promoter. He let me use his gym. And I spar with um, Dave McCauley, Paul Hugginson, Fidel Bassa, who fought Dave McCauley. They were all champions. And they loved the way, because I threw a lot of punches, they loved the speed. And I got to show the ring with them as a 15-year-old. I mean, it was like the priceless. And amateur boxing, they, w they weren't allowed to spar with pros, but I'm like, I'm here with my brother, who's going to know? <laughs> but the experience I got then was just fantastic. And I seen the little small things I had to do as a pro. You know, when I turned pro from amateur to pro, it's so different. It's so, you know, the amateur boxing more about scoring punches, scoring punches. Professional boxing more about, you're trying to hurt somebody, no, you're not, not hurt them permanently. You're trying to hurt them with your punches, with the small gloves on, and then um, try to win that fight by knockout. And, and I say, sometimes it's hard to cross over to that. A lot of, like, a lot of um, Olympic medalists cross over and don't make it. You know, it's Michael Carruth who won the gold medal when I won the, the silver for Ireland. He, he turned pro eventually and he, he fought for a championship then lost and then he just, he just stopped. Where a lot of Olympic silver medalists, like Roy Jones, who was robbed in the Olympics in 88. You know, Virgil Hill was Olympic silver medalist. Riddick Bowe was an Olympic silver medalist. All became world champions. So it's almost like you didn't get the gold, so your gold's going to be the world championship. And maybe that's a little bit strive to, to work hard. A lot of gold medals have won, won world champions, of course, as well. But it's so different. When you go cross over from amateur to pro, it's so different. And you got to just make them small little steps to, to make yourself different and just slow down a little bit, being relaxed. You know, it's, 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 diff it's different. It's, it's tough, but it's fun. It's, it's the change of pace, right? When you say like three rounds, you're fighting yeah. two minutes each versus six. Six. 10, 12, right? It's, yeah. it's a lot more like long-term strategy than it is yeah. just punches and bunches, try to score as many points as possible in these six minutes time. It's setting yeah. traps, right? It's figuring out, controlling yeah, right. your, like a puppet. Yeah, three, three rounds is, you know, it's three, 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 three. You can do three twos in the women's, three, three in the men's. But it's a sprint. You yeah. know, you lose, you lose the first round, you only get two more rounds. Yeah. So it's a complete sprint and say, when I fought the Olympics in 92, I fought five fights in, within like 10 days or something. And um, so you're fighting one day, then two days later, and one day, then two days later. And it's just a sprint. You just get, a, you get to land as much punches as possible. There's no, you can't just walk out there and look for one shot, one shot. You know, so you're not going to get the one shot, and then the, then the round's over, then the second round's over, then you have to knock them out, and you can't get it. So it's, it's different. I say pros, you start four, then six, then eight, then 10, then 12. 
And the longer distance suited me better, the longer the fight went was better for me. And you can just be relaxed, take your time and, and have like a game plan to, you lose the first four rounds, you still got plenty of time, mm-hmm. you know? And um, that's a difference though. That's a difference. It's not a sprint anymore. A lot of amateurs turn pro and try to sprint still, but they can't, they can't cope with it. And then they don't make it. Interesting. Um, and do you think that, do you think styles make for pro fights? So they look at Cubans that have been able to turn pro, obviously living in Cuba, they can't, but there's very few Cubans that make it all the way to the top. And, and it's interesting when you say about the sprint, you look at like someone like Uriokis Gamboa, for example, that came out and he's, you know, he became a superstar right away because of his crazy yeah. story um, and how he was knocking people out. But once he started facing some tough competition, he got exposed fairly quickly. Um, do you think there's too big of a, of a jump or too big of a separation between amateur boxing and professional boxing today? Well, I think the, the, the Cubans are probably the best amateur boxing country in the world, you know what I mean? And he comes yeah. in the big man. And um, the crossover is different. You know, Casemiro that I lost to in the Olympic final, close fight. He became a world champion professionally. And um, he made it, but... Gamboa was the type of guy that his chin wasn't the greatest, so when he got hit, he could drop. And I think he won a version of one of the belts. There's so many different belts now, I forget about <laughs> But um, you've got guys who cross over, you know, the, the guy with the Fury beat, or sorry, Wilder beat, the, the, the heavyweight. He, he crossed over and did pretty well, Ortiz. And um, some guys, but when you think about the number of Cubans who were Olympic gold medalists, whatever, who, who could de facto go over, there's very few of them, you're right. There's very few. And a lot of Cubans who cross over and um, they don't make it. It's so different because they've got that style of pop, pop. And it's like a pro-am style, but not really a pro style. And some make it and some don't make it. But they, you think more of them would be better pros, but they're not. They're better suited to the amateur game. And that's why most of them don't defect and they stay there. And though, you know, that's just, they fight for the country and they just do that for the rest of their life. But the ones who, like Joel Casimir, were good friends now. He lives in Las Vegas as well. And to see a guy that we actually shared the Olympic final ring with is like unbelievable. Because you never really, when you fight guys like in the Olympics, you never really see them again. But when he defected in 96, I'm like, and he came, he came to Miami, then he came to Vegas. I'm like, I got to meet the guy that I fought and we got that respect for each other. You know, every time we see each other, like you get that respect that you shared the Olympic ring together, you know, and the, and you're both gold and silver medals. It's just a priceless thing. But I'm surprised, just as you said there, the Cubans haven't made a bigger, a bigger step in professional boxing. But, you know, it, it's weird they haven't. But maybe the amateur game suits them better. Hmm. Yeah, it is interesting, though, Marcus. I'm sitting here thinking about the jump from amateur MMA into pro MMA isn't that big of a difference. It's still the same. Yeah. I mean, like, maybe, maybe a couple more weapons, right? Like, knees to the yeah. face. But... The, the rounds, the length of the rounds, all of that is still relatively the same. And that's why, you know, with our fighters, I, I would say, you know, I'm from Europe, a lot of Swedish guys have 20, 25 amateur fights in MMA before they get into the pros. And I'm like, you don't need that many because it's so similar to the pros and you can take so much damage in the amateur MMA as yeah. well. Whereas, uh, you know, in, in professional boxing, it's, it's different, but, but you do, it, it's, it's difficult to, to say, and, and that's why I'm, I'm so curious, Wayne, to what, what, what can you do? What did you do when you said, okay, I am going to become a professional fighter? You were lucky, right? You had a brother, you got to train with some pros, and even myself, my, my style, I lived in Mexico, so I had a very Mexican style of boxing, which is not suited for amateurs because no, it's no. about looking for those, for those big shots, right? And it hurt me even yeah. more when it came to MMA. I think amateur boxing is better for MMA than professional boxing uh the, the the style but how if you if you have an amateur boxer that is looking to turn pro or is just about to take the take the jump right what do you tell them what do you focus on differently except from not taking the big shots and not running a sprint like you said well i would get what i did is to say when i sparred with the pros it, it was priceless to me and guys need to do that they, but they let the amateurs stay amateur and they spar with amateurs they don't spar with pros so they just stay at that level when you get to they see a different style of professional, um, you can learn so much for that, from that. And then when you cross over, it's easier. But 
you got to learn how to slow down a little bit. And I think the, I think one of the biggest problems is the smaller gloves. When you turn pro with the smaller gloves on, and they make the pro gloves are made different from amateur gloves. They're like the amateur gloves are like cushioned here. You get the rest gloves on, it's like you can feel your knuckle coming through the, the glove. You know what I mean? Which is I love that. But so that when you get hit harder, when you get, when you're getting hit harder, it's hard to take. You know what I mean? If you if you're not used to it, and a lot of guys, maybe that's why a lot of, a lot of amateurs will say, oh, I'm never going to go pro. They'll just say, no, I'm just, I'm going to stay amateur, never going to go pro. And with me, I was, I wanted to be a pro since I was a teenager. So I loved it. And all my teammates knew I wanted to go pro. And they were all like, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. So I just, I just, I love the smaller gloves. <laughs> I love finishes. Like an MMA, I love, I love finishes because when you finish a fight, there's no judges. You can't take it out of your hands. I've been there before. You know, I won the fight, but the three judges give it to the other guy. You know, so it can happen so much. And when you take it out of the judges' hands, you know, the gym judges can't give it against you no matter what. And um, that's why it's, you know, I love, I love the MMA when they, it's out of the judges' hands. And you think, because there's so many bad decisions, you know there is in MMA, boxing, and there's nothing done about it, really. It's just like, oh, he gave a what was he watching? And next day, it's forgotten about, you know? But you ruin, you can ruin somebody's life, you know, a fighter's life who's just, you know, up and coming or whatever, and they, and they just get disappointed, and they think, why should I work hard when just these judges can just take it away from me? You know, the drop of a hat. So professional boxing is different, and a lot of guys can't cross over because they don't make that little, little small changes along the way before they turn pro. You just can't go from here to here. In boxing, you just gotta you gotta learn the the hard way before you turn pro. <laughs> Wayne, forgive me if this is an ignorant question, but just based on the conversations that we're having, I, I have to ask: is is bare knuckle boxing like a, a strong culture in Ireland? Is that a is that a real thing? Have you witnessed it? Have you been a part of it at all? What? Well, I didn't hear you. <laughs> yes, it, just, it, it fascinates me. It's like it's starting to. I could take you to Ireland to, tomorrow and um, bring you one. Really? Because that's actually something I'd like have considered. I just have to convince yep. my wife. But <laughs> but now but now they've got the bare knuckle because um Polly Polly fought um yeah um, love, love. So that you're getting paid but, for it, getting paid good money, and they've got the bare knuckles are showing. They've got the you can't put anything in your knuckles and, and it's rounds, but and you can hold the guy and hit him, which is good. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the rules they have. You can hold them and hit them with one arm, but you can't you can't do any grappling or anything like that. But a burn knuckle fight even in Ireland would be the same sort of rules as well. You can't do any MMA or anything on them. You can hold them maybe and hit them, but that's about it. But there's plenty it, it happens it's big over there. And they bet big money and they have it's big. It's always been big over there in Ireland. I, I visited Ireland a couple of years back and I had a meet up there and a gentleman gave me uh, this, this study that he had printed out and it, I can't believe I can't remember. It was something collar, choking collar or shirt and white, collar. White, white collar boxing? Is that it? No, it was, it was like a style of bare knuckle boxing where they would, where they would grab on using, using like a collar tie, like a single collar tie. Mm -hmm. um, but it would also like kick the feet out from underneath them and trip oh, them. That would suit you better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I know. Um, but yeah, ever since I was like, I don't know. I, it, there's something there that I really, I would like to pursue. And, and one that isn't on camera. Like I, I don't want to do it for the money. I don't want people watching. I would like to just. You just want to, yeah, like you're like Fight Club. You want to do it for that? I broke the first two rules. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, that's, that can be easily done. You know what I mean? There's plenty of, Fights over there with well, everybody has a camera nowadays. You know what I mean? They don't have a camera yeah, in the yeah. That's the problem. But you get if you want no camera, you you can't stop people from filming. True. You know what I mean? It's unfortunate. It's a big portion of the or big part of, of the, the 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 gypsy culture in Ireland, right? Yeah. Gypsy is a type of person. If you become their friend, they will back you up. If you if you become their enemy, you know. But I say Tyson Fury. He's a gypsy, Billy Joe Sanders, um, Andy Lee, former world champion of mine. He, he's a he's a, a, a gypsy as well. So they come from that background. And the gypsies were always, when I'm in Belfast, they always had their caravans parked in the city centre and stuff. It was always gypsies around somewhere. But they're well known for that, for 
the Bernardo, but it's not just Emmons. Where I came from, the Shankill Road and the Falls Road, the Protestant categories, there was a lot of Bernardo fighting there because there were a lot of guys who were called hard men. And these guys could, could beat anybody up on, your, on the road, whether they were a boxer or MMA guy. These guys could just fight, street fight, you know what I mean? Bernardo fighting, and they could fight for real. And them guys would do a lot of fighting as well. So there's always them guys around there. But the gypsies are, are well known for it, but, but they all do it over there. All the, the bad neighborhoods, all the tough guys do it. You're tough, guy. And he's, it's in his eyes. Like, I want to do that. He licked my lips. I want to do that. I want to do that. <laughs> just fascinating to me. Uh, I know. I know you got to head out. Um, I just wanted to say, if you do take that MMA fight, I would gladly help you with your kicks. Um, yes. And and I don't want to invite. I promise, Mike. I'm not very flexible, but I know how to. I know how to. I know how to bring my knee up and block the block the kicks and stuff like that. No, I mean, know how to do that. Keep my elbows blocked in the gut. But yeah. my my high kick. I'm fine. I was never flexible as a boxer, but I would have to stretch me out a little bit and get my legs up here somewhere. <laughs> but I love, yeah, but I've got nice elbows, nice pointy hey, elbows. Sharp, sharp elbows. <laughs> there you go. You know, I'll help you with stopping the takedowns. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, no, I love it. I love it. I know Marcus Davis really well. He's a good guy. Yes. And, uh, yeah, he is. He's a good guy. Irish hand grenade. comes. <laughs> but I... You know, I, I watch the, over the years, the UFC and say all the tapes and stuff, but when you're watching certain, like, top contenders, top guys, not even guys, you just watch what they do, and you see what they do, and it's just, you can even well, study what they're doing, and then a lot of times, a lot of the, like, the top guys, like, like John Jones stuff, they do the same thing to win the fights, if you know what I mean, but they do it in different ways as well, it's weird. So they always find a way how to switch it up a little bit, and that's the world class, world class fighting, and um, I just, I just love. It. I don't know what it is. I just love it. I just, I've always loved it. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's him wanting to do a burn up. It's me wanting to do that. <laughs> <laughs> who's your, who's your favorite MMA fighter right now, and who's your favorite boxer right now? Mm. Favorite boxer, Canelo. Of course, they call me Irish Mexican. <laughs> no, because he, no, he, he talked about Irish back in eighteen forty six when they. The Irish fought for Mexico against the U.S. Army, the, some revolutionary war. And the Irish stayed behind. Of course, Irish people like to populate pretty quickly. <laughs> so he talked about having bloodline down there somewhere. He's got the red hair and white skin. You know, MMA, you know, it's, it's hard to go. Jan Jones is the type of guy who's a bad boy, you know what I mean? But it's hard to, to, to look what he does. You know, he, and then he's going to go to heavyweight now. He's just... He's just He's just—he's brilliant. It's just what he does outside the ring, and if he has if the steroid thing, you know, I hate people who take steroids. It should be first time they do it, they should get a suspension. Second time they do it, they should be banned for life because the first time you get caught, it's not the first time you did it. You know, and it's unfortunate. But John Jones is a is a, like a, a standout guy who's just, you know, he's just unbelievable. He can make it look easy sometimes. It's going to be interesting to see if he can go do this at heavyweight. He's, he's big enough to do it, but. So John Jones is probably right now my favorite guy out there. I just love it. I don't like the way he gets on, but I, you know, I met him one time. He was, he was a humble enough guy, but I just don't like, I like the way he fights. You know, a lot of people didn't like Floyd Mayweather, but if you look at what he does in the ring and how defensively brilliant, he's just a master class. I, mean. yeah. <laughs> I agree. But I, agree. But I, respect, I respect all MMA fighters and all the boxers. I really do because it's so tough. It's so tough in there, and then people don't realize how tough it is. And when you get hit a good shot, whether it's a kick or a punch, and, and you do start to see a little bit of flashing lights in front of you or something, you know, it's, it's, it's weird, but you, and then you find a way back, and you come back and, and fight hard. You know, it's a type of sport that, as I said before, you're on your own. Whatever happens in that ring or the octagon, you blame yourself. You, know, you can't point a finger at that other guy. He's got, toss a ball to me. It's your fault. <laughs> You know, but thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't want to invite myself over, but I'd love to come train with you and pick your brain. Go to the world. You're in, you in California? Yeah, I'm in Redondo. So close. You know, you know Razor Rob, don't you? Yeah, McCullough. We're brothers from another mother, you know that? <laughs> I know Razor Rob really well. Every time we see, we talk brother from another mother. We'll get the McCullough yeah. exactly spelled the same way and everything. Yeah, yeah. I worked at I worked at a UFC gym for a little bit. Yeah, all them gyms have, are they all gone now? The UFC gyms are they still around? No, they're still around. 
Yeah. Are, they, are they run by the UFC man or just individuals? I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. yeah. I thought they fed them out and they sold them all and, and then independent people took them over. Because a good name to have if you can get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, well, next um, time I'm there. You've got my number now, so definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you got to come over. You got to come in the garage. I, when I teach boxing, I actually go one, two, block, block. I actually throw punches at you, so. That's good. Good. Perfect. I don't, I don't go one, two, roll, roll. I go one, two, roll, roll, or block, block. I throw the punch straight at you, and that, that's over here somewhere. Because uh -huh. that's the only way you learn to catch a shot, learn to catch it, and block it, and roll it. Roll it, and, and they go like that. Yeah, like this. <laughs> No, it's always it. When you roll quick or block or slip quick or block, you get back quicker. You know, so I'll do that. I'll throw punches at you. Sounds good. All <laughs> that's right, how Kara got, got, got better pretty quickly because she loved the fact that you're throwing punches straight at her. I mean, not, not over here, somewhere over here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but thank you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, so we, we usually finish with uh, a little bit of homework. Any bit of advice that you would want to give to our, our listeners, whether it's... Well, the funny thing is, the, the homework right now with this quarantine thing was, was crazy. I actually, I'm actually busier now than I was before quarantine. I do a lot of Zoom, Zoom um, workouts, and I did these workout, little small workouts, 7-minute workout, 14-minute workout, 20-minute minute workout, 30-minute workout, and they're all, they're all boxing-related, intense, but it's a push-up, sit-up, stuff like that in it. And... A lot of people have been doing them. You know, it was a free workout I gave them. And there have been a lot of people around the world who said, oh, I did your 21-minute workout today. It was, I sweated and I probably lost about four or five pounds. So during this quarantine, I've got people things to do. If you keep on moving and keep on doing something, you know, you can get better at what you want to do, whether it's boxing, the MMA, or whatever. And um, if you sit at home, a lot of people sit at home and just get, got bigger. <laughs> but... And the coronavirus is a thing now that's just different from anything that's ever happened around the world. And you just got to keep moving and keep doing something, you know, you know, whether it's if you want to study something, do a different language, do this, do that, work out, you know, go for a walk. You can do that, but it, and you can learn something. And see, that's what it's all about right now in the coronavirus day. I call it the coronavirus days. 2020 is, is a non-event this year. I turned 50 in July, though. My wife said it doesn't count until next year. <laughs> When's your birthday? I just turned 30 in July. What, what date's your birthday? July 3rd. Well, mine's a simple. Mine's is, um, the 7th of the 770. Uh, nice. All sevens. The luck of the Irish. 770. Yeah, there you go. Seven, seven, Jackpot. Jackpot. Yeah, 3rd of July, you're cancer as well, then. So. Yeah. Good. Not a bad month to be born in. A lot of people have been born that month. You know, Mike Tyson's June thirtieth. Ah. My mom is born. Yeah, my mom is June thirtieth. June thirtieth. My mom shared the same birthday. That's how I knew it. Nice. Yeah. Mike right, Tyson. Coach. Mike Tyson. Roy Jones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. True. We didn't even talk about that. Didn't it get pushed back? I heard it just got. Yeah, it got pushed back, and Roy's trying to get some money because it got pushed back. He wants to be paid for his the weight. I'm like, why? <laughs> no, if Mike Tyson, if Mike Tyson hits hits Roy with half his punch par, Roy's going to get hurt. I mean it, because Roy is pound for pound probably the best fighter of the nineties. But when his reflexes went, he's been knocked out five times. Yeah. And one of the knockouts against Glenn Johnson, he was out for like fifteen minutes. His reflexes are gone. So when, could you imagine if he just ta tries to taunt Mike Tyson like this, frustration? Tyson's going to walk in. And just even if he hits him half his punch bar, it's not a good thing. And Tyson still thing. got it. Tyson still got that power. Tyson, as I always say, the last person to beat him is my buddy, Kevin McBride. He's my buddy. He was on the Olympic team with me in '92, and nobody gave him a chance. I said to everybody, Kevin, Kevin is a big guy, six foot six. I said he's big enough to hold on to Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson hasn't got the. He doesn't want to fight anymore. It was 2005. And Kevin was like a 201 underdog. If I was a bad man, I would have been rich. And Kevin stopped him. You know? Tyson tried to break his arm along the way, but Kevin, he stopped him. And it's one of the biggest upsets ever in boxing, but nobody even knows who Kevin is. <laughs> so I told, Kevin, I told Kevin to get ready. 
because Tyson, you can fight Tyson again. It would make more sense about Tyson fighting somebody like to beat him and somebody who's a smaller guy, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I don't think the fights will ever happen, to tell you the truth. They'll put it back after Thanksgiving. And, but I think they're going to put the, like Logan Paul's brother on the undercard or something. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. All the influencers will be there. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Wayne, a true pleasure talking to you, mate. Really, yeah, really well. It's great to Anytime. see you. Nope. Uh, and, and hear things from a, from a true world champion. And uh, thank, you. thank you for the time. And uh, yeah, I, I've been honored one day to, to share, share the ring well, and do a couple of rounds. Well, with both you. of you guys are welcome. Thank if you, you hit me too hard, I'm going to take you down. I'm telling you now. I'm going to put both these in with Cara. <laughs> oh, I, I'd love to see Cara. Give her a hug. I haven't seen her since she's in New York, but I'd love to see her. Okay, great. Thank you, guys. All right. All right. Take care, Thank mate. you, Wayne. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.